Boram read, we are in John 17, and while you're turning there, I just want to bring your attention to a couple of different items. Um, first of all, just uh, a couple of things that happened this week, just want to draw your attention to. Okay, first of all, is Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, as many of you guys have been following the, the progress of Gabe Hefner, um, Gabe was shot several weeks ago and has been at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. And uh, last couple weeks is making a lot of progression. A huge answer to prayer is that he was transferred on Wednesday to the Shirley Ryan Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago. Um, Really, like I said, a huge answer to prayer. And as he was transferred over there, there was a number of you all that showed up from Parkview just to kind of line the route and uh, wave flags and encourage and applause and hoorah. Um, for Gabe as he headed that way. And it was just such a joy to be able to see the body of Christ come together and support Gabe and the Hefners in that, a, a family that is so dear to this church. Um, so just want to say thank you. As I've been talking with Niall, he's just so encouraged. Niall and Cody have been so encouraged and just so thankful for the support by so many, uh, but especially by Parkview and, and the body of Christ um, in this area. So well done, church. Very good job. Um, it just so happened that the day, I believe this is right, the day that he was released and transferred to um, Shirley Ryan was the 246th anniversary of the Marines. Is that right? I think that's right. And the following day, as a nation, we celebrated vet- Veterans Day. And so what's a tradition here at Parkview is that historically on the Sunday near Veterans Day, um, we just take a moment to honor and to pray for those who have served in the military and the armed forces. So if, that's, if you fall in that category, I would invite you to just stand up right now. If you served in the military, armed forces, is there anybody here at Parkview East? Knew we had a few. Awesome. Let's go ahead and just thank them real quick for their service. And I'm going to, would you just pray with me real quick? You guys can, you guys already sat down. It's going to keep you standing, but that's okay. We're praying for you guys right now. I'll I'll pray for a few other things before we we dive into the scripture. Let's let's, uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we come before you this morning, and and first, Lord, we uh, acknowledge that you are the giver of all life, the sustainer of all life, Lord, and you are such a good, good God to us. And it is a joy and an honor to be able to be here this morning and to be able to worship you and to reflect on you and your goodness, and what an amazing um, privilege that we have as a people to be able to gather in worship of you. And, and this morning, we just take a moment to recognize that that privilege, that freedom that we enjoy is not a privilege or freedom that is enjoyed across the, the globe. And in large part, that's due because of um, men and women who have sacrificed and who have served to protect those privileges and those freedoms Um, Lord, and so we just take a moment to just thank you um, for those individuals, especially those who are a part of our church, um, who have sacrificed and who have served for this country and for us. Lord, we're so grateful for them, and and we ask specifically this morning that in light of their sacrifice and their service, Lord, that you would bless them, that your face would shine upon them, Lord, that you would strengthen them and encourage them, and, and Lord, that they would be reminded of even just this moment, Lord, of how grateful we are as a people for them and for what they've done. We also ask that you would bless their families. We know that the sacrifice was and the service was um, not just that of those who, who are enlisted, but also the families who love them and who have cared for them and who stand by them them, Lord. And so we just ask that you would bless them. 
Lord, we also just lift up Gabe and uh, just uh, thank you for your faithfulness and just answering the prayer of, of being able to get him into that um, real special clinic where they could help him. Lord, we thank you for the progression that we've seen um, in the last couple of weeks, and we just ask that that would continue. We know that there's still um, a, a long ways to go, and we just ask that, um, that he would continue to progress and that you'd bring healing to his body, that he would be right where he needs to be at that place, that the doctors and the physicians that are caring for him would, would take great care of him, Lord, and that you would give them wisdom that, that would apply to him. Pray, pray you'd be with Niall and Cody as they, they drive back and forth, Lord. I just pray that you'd bless them, give them strength, Lord, and I pray that they would know how, how, how much they're cared for and loved by, um, by us, but also, and more importantly, Lord, by you. And so I, we ask that you would strengthen them. Likewise, we also just lift up to you right now those in our congregation who, who may be hurting, who may be sick, who may be ill themselves. Lord, we pray that you are, you're a God who draws near to those who are brokenhearted, and so I pray that, that your presence would be known and felt by them. Lord, we pray that your healing hand would be on them. Lord, we love them so much, and we, we, we are reminded of just how frail human life is. And we're so grateful um, for the life that you have given us, Lord, and we just ask that, um, that your healing hand would be on those, especially now in our congregation who are hurting. Lord, we ask right now as we um, turn our direction to your word, we, we confess that um, I do, that uh, oftentimes can, can rush into this place on a Sunday morning having um, given my attention to, to different areas and thought about different things and can often approach Sunday morning from a distracted point of view, Lord. And I just pray right now that you would settle our hearts calm our minds, Father, that we may direct our attention to your word, and that as we do that, as, as Christ is proclaimed, that your son would be exalted in this place, that hearts of men and women alike in this room would be drawn to him, and that we would see Jesus Christ as he is, the Lord and Savior of all. And so I pray to this end, Lord, that you would use um, the preaching of your word to do just that this morning. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all you've given us, the many ways that you've pressed, uh, the many ways that you've blessed us, and we just ask that right now, that you simply show us Christ. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, as a, as a people, we have been, over the la course of the last eight weeks, walking through what we have called really sort of sacred ground. Now, of course, all of the scripture is God-breathed, is God's word, and therefore it's all sacred, okay? But John 17, this chapter that we've been in for the last eight, eight or so weeks, is incredibly significant. It's so important, and, and we've called it the Lord's Prayer, Okay, that's what it is. It is the Lord's Prayer. Now, many of us, when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we think of our Father and art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Find it in Matthew 6. We find it in uh, Luke chapter 11. Um, oftentimes, we think of that as the Lord's Prayer. That's, you know, Jesus taught us to pray by saying those words. So we affirm that. That is great. It is a helpful way for us to pray. But this really uniquely is the Lord's Prayer. And the reason we're saying this is the Lord's Prayer is because this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. It's incredibly significant. It's sacred ground. He is about to go to the cross and die for your sins and for mine. What he's about to do is no small thing. And before he goes to the cross, he stops and he whispers in the ear of the Father. And when he does so, we are able to listen in to what Jesus is communicating, praying, asking the Father. And in doing so, we get a window into a couple of different things. First and foremost, we learn what's on Jesus' heart before he goes to the cross. What is most important, most, most desirable of him? What is it that he wants and longs to see happen? 
We get a window into the very heart of Christ. Secondly, we're also able to get an understanding of, the, of what, what God has called us to, the, the very existence, our existence, our purpose here on earth. What is Jesus asking the Father for you and for me? We see it here in John 17. We learn that he, we get this wonderful promise of security and protection that, that Jesus will keep us. We also learn that we are offered a place as a people to belong to God. We, we discover the possibility of everlasting joy, unending joy. That's what he wants for us. We learn about the priority of unity, of being united as the very people of Christ. And we discover a great deal about our very mission, the, what he has called us, placed us on this earth to accomplish and to fulfill. Last week, we looked at verses 20 through 23, and we discovered that Jesus, get this, Jesus is concerned that his people experience a special unity in a world that is, it seems like, divided a million different directions. What's on, on Jesus' heart before he goes to the cross is that he wants you and me to experience and to know a special unity, to be unified in a way that, quite honestly, is totally supernatural, unexplainable apart from the work of God himself, a unity that is rooted and looks like the very oneness of the Father and the Son, the oneness of the Trinity. So as Christians, though many of us may worship at different churches, we are, Christ died to create, the Bible tells us, one new man. Unity is important. We discovered that last week, and it's important as we consider just even the mission that he's called us to, to glorify God by making disciples. We must be united to see that happen. This week, as we look at verses 24 through 26, we're going to consider the final petition, the last request to the Father on our behalf. If you remember the structure of the text, verses one through five, Jesus was specifically praying for himself, to the God, what he, to God the Father, what he wanted for himself. Then, from verses six through 19, Jesus turned his attention specifically to his immediate disciples, those who were witnesses to Jesus, who lived with him, who walked with him, who ate with him, who cried with him, who prayed with him. He prayed for them. And then from 20 to 26, Jesus' attention turns to you and to me every disciple that would follow. And what we'll discover in this final petition, this is really the ultimate petition for you and for me. And what's so wonderful is it's not just Jesus's ultimate petition here in these verses. It's also the answer to this prayer is the ultimate longing in your heart and in mine. And we have to keep in mind that this is Jesus the Son praying to the Father and the Father always answers the Son. So there's tremendous confidence that what Jesus is praying for actually happens. Jesus is not just throwing up some softball wishes into the air. Oh, Lord, please, would you please? No. Jesus asks God what's on his heart, and God delivers because he's God, and Jesus is too. So this morning, we're going to have two basic points. Okay, the first point is going to be this. What does Jesus want for you and me. In these verses, we're going to discover what Jesus wants for you and for me. And then the second point will be this. What difference does it make? Because here's the deal. If we can't answer the second question, why even answer the first? If we leave here this morning completely unchanged by God's word, why come in the first place? 
I don't know about you, but when we walk through these doors on a Sunday morning, we should walk in with the expectation to have an encounter with the living God. Because we open up the living word and we discover the risen and exalted Christ who sits on the throne this very day. So we don't walk in these doors in a sense of hopelessness, that life is just going to continue in a sort of ho-hum sort of way, and that nothing's going to change. What's the point? If that's the case, we might as well stand up and leave right now. We walk in these doors every Sunday morning with an expectation to have an encounter with the one true living God. So, let's have at it. What is Jesus asking for you in verses 24 and 26 and asking for me? It's simply this, and I'm going to divide it up into two different sections. This this is what it is. What does Jesus want for you? He wants you to be with him so you can see who he really is. What does Jesus want for you and for me? What is the pressing burden on his heart before he dies on the cross that you are with him? And that you see his glory as he fully is. That's essentially the request. That you be with Jesus and see his glory. So let's take those one at a time. First, that you can be with Jesus. We see this in verse 24. Just look at your text and I'll read it one more time. Father, I desire, he's saying what he wants, that they they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Jesus is about to leave earth and go to the right hand of the Father where he sits to this day. And his desire is that they, you and me, would be with him where he is. Okay? A couple years ago, there was a single that came in. I don't know how popular it was. I enjoy the song by One Republic called Wanted. Maybe you're familiar with the song. It's a simple song with a very simple message. It, 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 the song gets to the very heart of what you and I need, the need to be wanted. We share that. You and I, we share the, the desire, the basic desire to be significant, to feel loved, to hear these words, I want you. At some point in our life, we all, regardless how maybe tough we want to appear to be, we all want to hear those words. We want somebody to say, I want you. It's a very basic need that every human being shares. And it's not coincidental that the the title of the album that the song Wanted appeared on is called Human. Because they understand that this is an essential human need to be wanted. Why is the need to feel loved and wanted so basic to our humanity? Because if we just stopped and we're honest with ourselves, the truth is, every one of us would say, yep, I long for that. I, in the words of another different generation band, want to be wanted. Cheap trick, I think, is that right? Cheap trick, I want you. Okay. We'll never do that again. Sorry about that. Just came out. I just couldn't help it. Okay. Why is this need to feel love so basic to our humanity? First and most obvious reason, it feels good. It just does. If you have had somebody in your life who you love say those words to you, I want you, 
there's a feeling that happens inside of us that none of us can deny. It's incredibly special. It meets a need that every single one of us has. It just feels good. It really does. Now, there's some people, maybe you're into the Enneagram. This is sort of, if you're a number two on the Enneagram, this is your basic, deepest longing. And likewise, your greatest fear is that you'll never hear those words and that you'll be rejected. And so you operate out of that. But the truth is, it's not just a two on the Enneagram. It's every single one of us. Some of us just haven't come to terms with it yet. We all want to be wanted. Secondly, why is this basic to our humanity? Well, it's because we're designed this way. We are hardwired to be relational creatures. We're created, as the Bible tells us, and we all know, in the image of God. And God himself exists as three persons in one God. We are relational creatures made in the image of a relational God. A God who exists himself in community. That's why Jesus, he connects this longing for our relational unity to the unity that exists between him and the Father. We see it several times in John chapter 17. Look at verse 11 where he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Again, he says it in verse 20 and 21. I do not ask that these only, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they also may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So when Jesus expresses his longing for Christian unity, he roots it in the doctrine of the Trinity. God is a relational God. He exists in community, three persons and one God. Therefore, we ought to be a people who fight for unity, who long for unity as well, and we do. We are created in his image. And really, the good news of the gospel is that as we discover the sweet promise of God, is that, we're to, that we discover in Scripture, the good news of the gospel is that God wants us. That God wants you. If you hear no other words or remember nothing else that I say this morning, remember this. God wants you. Every time we open up the Bible and we consider Jesus Christ, every time, whether it's Christmas or Easter, that something comes around and it's an empty tomb or a, or a cross or a, a cradle in a manger, it is for us. Every time that we drive by a house that is decorated with lights for the course of the next month, let them be for us a visible reminder that God wants you. He wants you. Let it sink in for a moment. God is saying to us this morning in John 17, verse 24. He's communicating the words to us that our hearts long to hear. I want you. Now what's even more staggering as we consider those words that God is speaking to us is when we measure them next to the reality of what's in our hearts, right? As we consider the, the dark corners that exist in our hearts or maybe even in our past or me, maybe even right now, the sin that we're living in right now that we're choosing to ignore. God is looking at us 
in the midst of our failings, in light of our constant habit of dropping the ball over and over and over again, in our failings as a husband or a father or a mother or a wife, our inability to sort of pull it together, he looks at you and even in light of that, he says, I want that. I know everything that comes with it and I want it. That's amazing. It's amazing. Some of us look into our hearts and do you know what? Some of even us come to the conclusion that we don't want that. But God never does. How do we know? How do we know that God wants us? Well, first of all, let's just consider the price that Jesus paid. That God wants us. How do you know he wants you? Think of the price that Jesus paid. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 says that Christ died for us that we might live with him. If you ever are questioning, does God really want me? Stop and just consider the price that Jesus paid so that you could live with him forever. You could go further and consider the promise that Jesus made. Not just the price he paid, but also the promise that he made. Just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 14, as he is preparing the disciples for his departure, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says these words, I will come again and I will take you to myself. This is a promise. I will come again. And where is he going to take you? He's not going to hand you off to Ed and say, Ed, now they're yours. Have at it. No, he said, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. It's a promise. So the price that he paid, the promise that he made, and also consider here in John 17, 24, the prayer that Jesus prayed. And the Father also always answers the prayers of the Son, right? So if you're ever questioning, can I really be, does God really, really want me, look no further. The price that Jesus paid, the promise that he made, and the prayer that he prayed. Why? Why does he want you? Let's not be mistaken. It's not because we have anything to offer him, right? It's not like he's lacking something. What does he want for you and for me? Well, the answer is this. Let's see it again in verse 24 that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. Ultimately, he wants you with him so that you can see Jesus in his glory, the fullness of his glory. Now, as a church, we have, over the course of the last couple of weeks, and I would say really a couple of months, we have um, experienced a few hard things. There's been a number of beloved brothers and sisters from our congregation who have gone on to be with the Lord. And as, as we have walked through this, um, it was just at a funeral this past, it was Thursday. Um, there's another one planned for Tuesday. Um, there was one previously on a Friday, the week before. It, it, it's caused me to just consider um, really the 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 brevity, the fragility of human life, but also to, to take into consideration the reality of our destiny as his people. And it's interesting as you consider the reality of heaven and our eternal destination, 
As you read through the Bible, yes, it is talked about as a place. And many of us, when we think about heaven and what eternity looks like beyond this life, oftentimes our mind go instantly to what the place looks like. And that's good. There's a time and a place for that. The Bible speaks to that. But what we also discover as we open up the scriptures is that heaven is talked about, I don't know if it's as much or more, less like a place at least for this morning, consider it less like a place and more like a person. Heaven as a person. Our destiny centered around a person, one person. When David talked about heaven, he he considered the, the, the pleasures that exist forevermore with God. Paul would, would often talk about how he would, you know, how he, he would desire to, to depart from here so that he may be with Christ. In Colossians 3 and 2, he directs us to, to similarly do a, a similar thing. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It goes on in verse 4, when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our destiny as Children of God is ultimately a person, and that person is Jesus Christ himself. Heaven is in the, where we will be in the presence of our Lord in the fullness of his glory. That's interesting when you think about the first witnesses, the men, the women who, who lived with Jesus when he walked on this earth. They got a glimpse, they got a taste, an idea of the glory and the splendor of who Jesus was. In, in John 1.14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. And as you read through the gospel accounts, you see men and women interacting with Jesus, witnessing on some level the reality of his glory. They got to see him turn water into wine. They got to see him heal Individual after individual, the official son, the the paralytic at the pool, the man who was born blind. They got to see his power on display as it went out for him and healed those around him. They got to see Jesus feed 5,000 people with five fish and two loaves of bread. Other way around. Five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Yes, 5,000 people. It doesn't matter if it was five, two, it didn't matter. It was miraculous. Unbelievable. They got to see Jesus walking on water. They got to see Jesus approach a dead man's tomb and simply speak a word, and the man came back to life and walked out of the tomb. They got to see Jesus' power and glory on display. Yet it was still just a glimpse. I mean, oftentimes I just think to myself, my goodness, it would be so amazing to have been there and to see this man do these things, to hear him teach and preach the way that he did, challenge and confront the authorities the way that he did, just operate how he did. Be awesome. But even if we were, the truth is it's just a sliver. It's just a glimpse of the glory that ultimately awaits us it would have been awesome but here's the deal on some level we we don't have to totally wait we get to experience his glory on display right now right here we have his spirit he he actually says that it's better for you that i go away and he gives us his spirit who who the bible tells us lives inside of us 
We open up his word, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or at home over coffee or with a friend or in community group, and we get to discover and see Jesus as he is, as he appears to us through his word. We don't have to completely wait. In fact, all of Christian life could be summarized as, as individuals, men and women who grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what we do as a people day by day, growing in our understanding of who Jesus is, seeing him more clearly day after day, his grace and his mercy on display and at work in our lives. So beautifully summed up by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he says, indeed, I count every, this is how important knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, how important it was to Christ, or to Paul. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The great burden that exists in Paul's heart and should for us as followers of Jesus is not that we would just survive and make it through the day. It's not the great burden. The great burden is not that our career will just take off and that we would advance and that we would have no need in this earth. It's not the great burden. The great burden is not that we will be well-liked by everybody around us. It's not the great burden that Paul says here in Philippians. It's not that we would somehow, by God's grace, be able to live out the American dream. It's not the great burden. The great burden is simply that we would know him. That's how awesome he is. I heard a pastor say this week that Christianity centers on Christ himself, whatever the cost to us, because he is so gloriously worth it. And the more we learn Christ, the more we long for Christ. He's just that good. So what difference does it make to us? That's what he's longing for, that we would be with him that we might see him in his full glory as he actually is. What difference does it make? What, what, what difference does that desire of Jesus make for you and for me? Well, to help us sort of answer that question, I want us to just consider on the life that really every Christian lives. Obviously, there's a variety of different, different places, different stages. There's great variety within the body of Christ. But I want to boil down the path that God has called us as Christians that we share in three different sort of chapters of our story to help us consider what difference. Does this actually make a difference? Chapter one could be titled this. We all share the first chapter of our life. There is a season in our life when we see but do not see. There, there is a period in our life, at the beginning of our life, for some it was for 30 years, for some it was four, where we see, but we do not see. Our stories all begin the same way and could be described as seeing the glory of Jesus, but not seeing 
the glory of Jesus. There's these really terrifying verses in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I've always found them really terrifying. It says this, He was in the world, referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. This is God coming to earth. The creator of the universe, the creator of the earth, walking on the earth. He came to his own. He came to the people who should be the first to say, thank God you're here, finally, and embrace this man with open arms instead. And his own people did not receive him. His own people rejected him. This is one of the most painful verses in all of Scripture. And it's often easy to think, well, if I would have lived then, I wouldn't have done that. I certainly would have embraced him. I would have seen his power and given him credit. I would have sacrificed. I certainly wouldn't have been in the crowds, you know, clamoring for his crucifixion. The truth is, every single one of us starts off rejecting Jesus. Rejecting seeing his glory, but not fully seeing his glory. Consider Judas, Judas. Did he see it? He looked at it every day for three years. And at the end, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus describes people like this in Matthew 13 as those who see but do not see. Those who hear but do not hear. And the truth is, every single one of us have been there before. There is a season in our life, every single one of us starts off rejecting Jesus, choosing our way, our path, our glory over his glory. It's the story of how our lives begin. And if this describes you where you are right now this morning, maybe you wouldn't identify as a Christian, the activity that you need to do is simply this, repent, turn from your sins, and trust in Jesus. But for every other, the others that are here this morning who, would, who have already done that, who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, what this does is it, it totally levels the playing field. This is not the type of place that you walk into thinking, well, I've been a Christian longer, or I don't have as much mess in my life as that person, or I've got, I bring more to the table than he does or than she does. There is a completely level playing field because every single one of us is initially cut off from the promises of God and without hope in this world. We are, as many have said before, all beggars simply telling other beggars where we found bread. That's how our story begins. Beggars in need of bread. But then chapter two. Our eyes are opened to see. Something happens. And the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appears. And we see the glory of Jesus as he really is. God's grace and his glory comes crashing into our lives in a way that we can no longer deny it. And we are, our eyes are opened, we see him as he is, magnificent, compelling, all-satisfying, and true. And we are never the same. Never the same. Every aspect, our desires, our burdens, our ambitions, our relationships, 
the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the things that we talk about with our friends, the things that we consume, the things we look at with our eyes. Every aspect of who we are is radically transformed. We are, the Bible says, a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And every step of our life from that moment forward is lived day by day, by faith, learning and enjoying, discovering who Christ is. God opens the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus for who he really is. We hear the gospel of Jesus, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And this reality, as it crashes into our lives, leaves us completely and totally transformed. So we go on living in light of that glory, in light of that gospel. It, it shines a light on us and completely transforms us. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Our eyes are open to his reality of who he really is. And by his love and through his power, providing fuel for us, we are able to make it day by day. Look at verse 26. It says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. This is what Jesus is doing right now for you and for me. Continuing to peel back our eyelids so that we can see more and more of who Jesus is. I made it known to them your name. I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. He gives us his love and that I are, am in them. He says that my, your love, God, would be in them and that myself, the very spirit of Christ, would dwell in us. So, so the very, he provides for us the very fuel that we need to live the life, ultimately, that he's called us to. So as we have looked at John 17, there's aspects, oh my goodness, almost lost that. There's aspects of this prayer that seem like, how can I pull that off? How can I actually do that? How can I live in unity with brothers and sisters that I, we disagree with on these issues? We have totally different sets of experiences. We come from different backgrounds. I would not prefer to hang out with that individual. The unity that he calls us to looks like it's completely unattainable. How can we do it? What well, we can't apart from his love in us and his spirit compelling us. We stand no chance. So the good news is, everything that we've discovered so far in John 17, Jesus provides for us the fuel, the power, to actually make it happen. Chapter 3. How does our life end? Well, the good news is, there is no end if you're in Christ. There might be an end for this body, but our soul will find a, a moment where it will discover precisely what it has longed for all along. And our eyes will be filled with the fullness of his glory. Those friends that we talked about who closed their eyes on this earth, their eyes were immediately opened into the glory of Jesus in the next life beholding the fullness of his beauty and his splendor and his glory. And it's ultimately what you and I were designed to experience and to know for ourselves. We know this because the Apostle Paul taught us that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And to depart and be with Christ is far better than remaining. And this is the ultimate aim of Jesus' prayer here in John 17. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, to be with me, not at a distance, not behind a veil, but fully in the presence of God in his glory. So the question for us this morning, just want to leave you with two sort of practical things, and I'm going to give you a moment to just reflect on them before we move into a time of communion together. Two questions, and you can write these down. I, they're not up there, so you can just remember them. If the whole of the Christian life is designed in such that we move closer and closer to Christ, one day in eternity being the people of Christ around Jesus himself, enjoying and knowing Christ as he truly is, then the question for you is, what are you going to do this week to learn and enjoy this Christ? Because here's the deal. We don't have to wait, like I said before, until the next life to experience and to learn and to enjoy Christ in his glory. He, he's made himself available to us right now. I in them. And really, every time we open up this Bible, what we should be asking is for us, for God to allow us to be satisfied with Jesus through his word, by his spirit. So how are you going to enjoy Christ this week? What does it look like for you to be in his word? What does it look like for you to be on your knees what does it look like for you to be in community with brothers and sisters talking about what you are enjoying and learning in Christ? How are you going to do it this week? Second question is if, if this is such a big deal to Jesus that you and I are with him forever so that we can see his glory, then as followers of Jesus, this better be a big burden on our heart that the people that God has placed in our life are also with him. If he really is as all satisfying as we talk about, as the word of God points us to, if he really is that good and glorious and that worth it, then how do we go a day or a week or a month or a year without telling other people about it? How is the gospel not just falling out of our lips every single day? And I'll be the first to admit that I'm as guilty as anybody. But as we learn and enjoy and are satisfied with who Christ is, the love that he has put in us, his spirit himself, should compel us to share that goodness with those around us. So the two questions are, how are you going to enjoy Christ this week? Question number two, who are you going to share Christ with this week? Think of those two things, and then I will transition us into a time of communion. Just take a minute or two. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would grant each one of us just the grace in our hearts and our souls of longing for more and more and more of Jesus in our life. We confess that often we don't, we don't want Jesus like we ought to. We confess, Lord, that we don't talk about Jesus 
like we ought to. Lord, and we're so thankful that your word tells us that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank you for that forgiveness, and we ask that you would give us the strength. You've given us your love and your spirit. Help us to be a people who simply walk in obedience. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.